Welcome to Jeremy's Iron. It's an evidence-based podcast about science, research, and aviation guilt. With me, Justin Boeing. And me, Justin Airbus. <laughs> That's not bad. I like that. Oh, thank you. I'm glad we have someone who can join us in our anagram game. We take proper names and rearrange the letters to form a description of that person. Like, uh... Um, one of my, well, one of my mates, mates, um, he's a pilot and he has probably the most appropriate. Is this the guy from Sydney high? Yeah. Yeah. The most appropriate name for a pilot. Oh, this came up when, um, when, really when Dust was in town. Yeah. What is it again? Nathan safe. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. That's so great. <laughs> First captain? officer safe here. <laughs> that's so great. First officer, not captain. <laughs> uh, what? I don't know. What's the, what are the <laughs> downselling him? Captain, captain safe. Captain, captain safe. safe. That actually kind of has an ironic spin to it. <laughs> I don't think it's appreciated. I trust him. Um, well, hi, this is a science podcast. We're actually... Ish. Ish. Um, this week, we're doing something... We're getting, getting deep into the aviation industry, in particular, this thing called fly shame is what we're looking at. Yeah. Uh, that's what I, the, the hot term that's been thrown about. I hadn't net. seen that. So it's but called fly shame. The idea of us being from a first world country mm-hmm. and going on flights for holidays, even work or whatever expending the world's precious resources in terms of fuel and polluting and all that kind of stuff and feeling the guilt. And I'm feeling this incredibly. So the background to this episode is that uh, we have, well, some plans. Yeah. Some loosely made plans. Yeah. To, uh, Big plans. Yeah, to go to Eastern Europe mm-hmm. together. And this is going to be in July. To the mother country. To the, to the mother country, Ukraine. Yeah. And I'm about to pull out. I think... I'm about to... Uh, I'm not going I'm to I, I, I let tried, that happen. I tried to buy tickets and yeah. the guilt, the fly shame got me pretty hard. And I'm like, how can I, as a you know, human being of mm-hmm. 21st century, human very, being. very environmentally conscious one, I would hope, how can I justify assisting in the death of this planet, essentially, Dude. right? Like, how can I live with myself doing that? And I'm having... A lot of don't internal a, consternation. Don't be a penguin. You need to fly like an eagle. Okay. Well, this <laughs> What's episode, the point of having wings if you're going to be stuck on the ground? Well, this is what we're talking about this week. This you're you're going to be trying to convince me. I am. And you, you've done some analyses of the... Yeah, sort of. I, look, it's a, it's a hard one because I, <laughs> what you said, I, I agree with it totally. And I think it's really good you're thinking that way. I have no issue with the principles of what you're saying. Yeah. You know? And so, it's a, look, it's going to be a hard argument to win. And I don't think I'm going to win with, win it on the basis of science. Well, I'm hoping we're looking at... Uh, you're going to tell me about some offsetting. I am going to tell you about some offsetting. how that works and stuff. Because yeah. I'm curious. Because I feel like that's the natural, you know... It is. Equalizing thing. I can just... I can pay for carbon offsets. Then I can just go wherever well, I want. That's going to be part of it. Sure. Yeah. It, yeah. Depend, it depends on what kind of a perspective you take on the whole thing. Right. And there's different ways of looking at it. And we'll talk about that. We will. That'll be in the second half of the show. We like to do... A few little things before mm-hmm. we get delve into the main topic for each episode. First bit of chit-chat. Well, we can do that. We haven't caught up because you went to LA. I went to LA. I went to Vegas. 
Yeah, well, I've got no stories from those. I've already told you my stories from you those. You went to the Magic Castle. I did go to the Magic Castle. Yeah, that was pretty amazing. Come on. Yeah, I went with our buddy Josh. And was were a- there any like amazing shows that were like, oh, there's some performers like, and there was some coin magic, coin card magic, which up close blew my mind. I mean, I <laughs> so was you can't look- you can't get into that stuff, man. Like, oh, uh, dude, like I was. I know a thing or two about magic. You know, I'm not a total stranger to magic. Yeah. You know, I know some of the moves. I know some of the, you know, how it goes down. And so I was looking hard. Like I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be a step ahead of him or at least up to speed with what I think he's doing. But my eyes just couldn't see it. None of it. The skill was unbelievable. (laughs) And it left me with only one conclusion, which is that it's probably just magic. Magic, well, magic is real. Magic is real. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad yeah. you're getting into actual magic after we yeah. confessed that we were getting into the card game magic, mm. <laughs> adding to the long list of reasons why we're both still single. <laughs> uh, we haven't played that in a long time, though. No, we played it once and yeah. gave it up, to be fair. But, um, but no, the Magic Castle was really cool. Yes. Well, well, we'll do the magic show. I feel like yeah. we have to have the magic show. We have to have the magic show. Um, in this show, yeah. as we do with uh, a lot of our episodes, we do a segment called News Justin, which we I do. think we should probably get into right now, which is me... Hitting me hard. Uh, well, hitting you hard with uh, some of the most recent science research that's, you know. Latest. The, the latest, sharpest. Latest, sharpest, and the ones that appear on this one website that I look at before the show. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> the one which everyone looks at, probably. Yeah. Science Daily. But some of these, this is quite interesting. Give it all up. So, <clears throat> this is news just in. Mm-hmm. The, the first two are actually somewhat, well, they're very much linked to do with my favorite topic, which is evolutionary biology. Oh, I thought you were going to say Siamese twins. Si- my favorite topic, which is Siamese twins. <laughs> well, they're, they're both are linked, you said. Oh, <laughs> that's very good. Thank you. You're thinking on the, the parallel mm. plane. Hmm? Uh, okay, so get this. This is uh, out of the Proceedings of National Academy of Sciences in the USA. Um, that's United States of America. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Um, so this is about... Uh, Guppy fish? Is that what we call them? Guppies, Guppies, sure. Guppies, yep. Yeah. So basically, you, you're aware... Do you know what um, sexual dimorphism is? Uh, yeah, it was that just the fact that opposite genders of a species have different physical traits? Uh, well, basically, as a, yeah, that's right. D- diverging in the physical other potential traits sure. as well but in they, males they, and females. They diverge in terms of traits yeah. with regard to gender. So it's a, it's a truism to say that there are many animal species where the male of the species is has like bright colors yeah. or whatever to attract sure. females. Yeah. Um, and, and it tends to be the males more often. And they also... Peacocks. Peacocks, for example. Yeah. Peacocking. Um, and Dolphins. What? <laughs> I think they're identical. <laughs> it would have been funny if I was like, oh yeah, like dolphins. Dolphins. The red ones. Yeah. <laughs> That no one ever, you know, like bees. They're like you know, most bees you see are, are female because they do all the the gathering, right? And the yeah. men stay back in the hive. It's there could be other animals where you'd be like, yeah, dolphins. You'd be like, what, what do you mean? You're like, oh dude, no, you've only ever seen gray dolphins because that's the women, and the yeah. women are the only ones you ever <laughs> see. The men are far deeper and are not nearly as social, and they're bright red. Yeah, they don't even go, they don't even live in the sea. <laughs> <laughs> but they're lobsters. <laughs> anyway, so this is, actually gets interesting. So, so hear me out. The, yeah. So, um, what they've basically figured out is the genes responsible for color, for the color of the um, the males. They're actually they're handed down from the males to the male progeny, uh-huh. and they don't actually do the spermatozoon. Well, yeah, but they don't actually engage in genetic recombination like most other genes do. So, for example, the male won't pass down his colorful genes to his daughter who might then pass it down to other 
you know, her her male progeny will not <clears throat> will not necessarily have his colourful genes. It's only handed down from the men to the men. <clears throat> That's right. Yeah. So there's a part of the chrom- so generally what happens in sexual reproduction mm-hmm. is that the genetics are um, uh, recombined. So some of the some of the male some mm-hmm. of your some of your mum's traits and your dad's traits gets mixed up in a blender and you get a good combination of all of them, right? Yeah. Now or a bad one. Part of the chromosome that is responsible for these spots, yellow spots, whatever the, the colourful thing is mm-hmm. it basically goes straight down from the father and it doesn't engage in this recombination thing mm-hmm. so it's it, it seems like it's fairly innocuous right but it, i guess what it means is that the females do not actually pass on their any kind of the any of those colorful male traits yeah right in their lineage because they don't actually have them in their genetic code mm-hmm. so the genetic code is specif- specific to the males so as as a human example, just say like you know you're you're, you're a male, but you actually have some traits from your mum, but mm-hmm. also traits specific to sexual repro- sexual um, reproductive traits from your mum as well that yeah. aren't activated in you because you're a I male. Do. But if you had a daughter, she might have some of those of traits course. that your mum had. But I have some stuff that comes from my dad and only from my dad that does not come from my mum one bit at all. Yeah, non recombinant. Sure, and I can label a few of those things just knowing you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think we knowing spoke you about and your dad. Yeah, but this is quite interesting because it dovetails quite nicely with my favorite hypothesis ever. Yeah, which is the sexy son hypothesis. Have you heard of the sexy son hypothesis? You, I know you've been looking for a sexy son for a long time. <laughs> but what what makes this quite interesting is that um, the idea of the, the sexy son hypothesis, which is from 1930, from my dude Ronald Fisher, who's a very famous statistician. Ron Fisher. Ron Fisher. Um, Fisher. No, Fisher, Fisher, like like a fish. But yeah, I like where you're going with that. Now, the, the gist is that um, females uh, look look for traits in males yeah. that can potentially give them sexy sons in particular mm-hmm. because there's more to gain in having a sexy son than there is in having a sexy daughter. Or considering- a not-sexy son. Well, sure. That, well, potentially, I see what you're saying with that. Yeah. You're quite right. Yeah. But... In having a sexy son. Nobody gains by having a non-sexy, non-sexy son. son. No one gains. <laughs> no one wins. But there is this, because of the ability of a son to have way more progeny than a sure. daughter, in theory. If he was yeah. a very sexy son, that it's mother's genes, the mother's genes can go many, many different places, right? You're betting but, on Gimel. Well, that's right. But due to the nature of reproduction and the mm-hmm. time investment of females mm-hmm. versus males. So it's, Yeah, it's, it, a, it's a genetic jackpot. Yeah, this is, uh, to me, I find this fascinating and mm-hmm. I wish... I wish I'd studied biology a bit more than I have, but... Um, but you do now. Well, yeah, I guess this is right. You're I'm, like a Dan Carlin-esque biologist now, right? <laughs> yeah. An ind- or an Elon Musk-ish right. biologist, right? You, you are an, an independent student of biology. Sure. <laughs> you don't need some community college to tell you that you're a biologist. I feel like I get a, a university to, to kind of sponsor me and say that I've got a degree from there. I feel like you're like, uh, you're like the Tin Man and I'm the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? You've got more biology in you than all you that university go. combined. Well, um, I don't know. I found that quite interesting. And, uh, and with, all this, with all this in research, we're going to be putting it up um, on the show notes on zstatistics.com. Dot AU. Not zstatistics. Let me try that again. On jeremyzion.com. Which Nothing is our else. website. Well, that's our website. That's our website. That's our new our new handle. Yeah. Um, um, it's a bit of a redirect, but you'll figure it out. Don't worry. Just, just follow it. Um, so that was my first news just in. The second one is quite similar. Mm-hmm. And maybe we'll just stop there because I don't want to prattle on too long. But this one uh, comes out of the Journal of Evolutionary Biology. That's a good one. 
Um, What's the impact factor for that one? Oh, I don't know. You didn't check? I haven't checked the impact factors no. of these. These could be 7. rags. 7.6? It's like, it's like the, the brag in Sydney. <laughs> <laughs> What's the impact factor of the brag? <laughs> but this one's cool. This one, um, basically, they're looking at male frogs. It would have one though, right? The brag would have an impact factor. It's been cited by someone somewhere, right? Probably. Yeah. So this okay. is Bell et al. from the Journal of Evolutionary Biology. This one's called Breeding Biology and the Evolution of Dynamic Sexual Dichromatism. Mm-hmm. in frogs so two colors as we discussed the males of some, certain species tend to become more colorful mm-hmm. to attract mates they also risk then a higher probability of predation right because in, in being colorful sure bigger animals can see it's them poppy. yeah you're not brown and blending in anymore you're red and out there right mm-hmm. um but what these frogs do is that they only change you're here you're queer get used to it <laughs> yeah they only change color when it's a very short mating season and they temporarily change color and then change back to boring old brown right during the other times smart interesting right like uh, yeah obviously in that case they're, they're only risking that extra you know so they, in fact they actually are peacocking in that sense right where they will dress up for a fancy occasion yeah and then dress back down again for the rest of the year yeah i find that i find that they really fascinating all, they get all uh, all pretty for mardi gras <laughs> <laughs> when there's when there's something on the line they get all, all, all pretty yeah, little, yeah. which kind of I don't know it, it makes me think that are there things biologically happening inside human males yeah. when there's the potential when's the right time to get yeah I mean we don't turn, change colors necessarily but maybe think raw brown frogs most of the time but, but when we know the moment's right when the breeding season yeah. is hot and we're not even aware of it suddenly <laughs> we start grooming ourselves better well, don't actually, even know why we might even become more interesting let me, let, Funnier. Me, let me lay this anecdote on yeah, you. Yeah, I was yeah. having dinner last night with a friend and, and she was saying that um, she's dating some guy who she's not quite sure about, but then she's like, I met some other guys and they just seem really interesting and really kind of like engaging. And they're always so like, you know, um, ask a question, they're on fire. And I'm like, well, they also probably think they've got a chance, right? Like you haven't told them about the fact that you've got a boyfriend or whatever. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I think maybe that's something physical happening inside human this is totally conjecture but maybe there's something physical in, happening inside human males that when there's the chance of essentially having sex well that you something know changes that, in us where we actually turn bright red in a way you know that i don't really believe in free choice right so i think everything is <laughs> yeah, predetermined by <laughs> yeah exactly so you know that everything i think is that we're everything's sort of predetermined by genes or conditioning right yeah. so yeah i totally buy into that Right. I think that we make very few conscious choices, but any of this stuff. Yeah. And when, when, the, when the, yeah. yeah, it's interesting. Okay. Before we change topics, um, my usual grammatic rant, <laughs> I saw yeah. something today. I so. have a good grammatical rant too. So, so, okay. You want, so just want... to be clear, we're done with news, Justin. <laughs> yeah, we're done. You want to go? <laughs> we could have work on compartmentalizing these segments, but no, you go, you go first. Cause okay. mine's, mine's a bit niche. Mine's very niche. Oh, mine's pretty niche too. <laughs> How's that? How's that? The QVB today. And, and, and maybe we should also preface this by saying that for those of you who might we be are just niche. listening, we are very niche. For those of you just joining in, um, we do science predominantly, yeah. but we're into the habit of also nitpicking the English Grammar. language. <laughs> <laughs> just cause. Cause. Uh, so I saw a sign for a pen shop and the pen shop is called Pen Ultimate. I like, I like it, but I also know exactly what your gripe is. <laughs> Which is that if they knew what that word meant, yeah. it means second worst. Yeah. <laughs> so you're like, ooh, pain ultimate. Great. 
So you're the second worst pen shop in Sydney? Because <laughs> if it's a double entendre, that's... Yeah. The two uh, words together, like ultimate sounds good. But great. penultimate... You're telling me that there's only one shop in Sydney that's worse at selling <laughs> pens than you are. And so I'm definitely giving you credit for a name that sounds really cool. But I'm not going to buy any from you because you've just told me that the odds are any other pen shop I pick in Sydney is a better pen shop than you. <laughs> well, apart from one. Apart other. from one. But yeah. odds are. <laughs> yeah, odds are. Odds are. If I see pen shop, I should shop there. Yeah, Fight my instinct to buy a pen from them and buy from the first person I see that's not them. Um, the sign should have said, buy a pen from almost anybody else that you see. <laughs> it's what that title says. Uh, and I'm, look, it's probably a great pen shop. It's just not very, not a lot of forethought put in there. No, it. I don't think that. It actually reminds me, um, I'm, there's a, a maths help website yeah. that's from the States. And it's called Math Shell. Some guy from the States. Because you know they call it math at school. Yeah, it's math. And, and, yeah, and so they don't see the fact that... It's math's hell. It's math's hell for everyone else that calls it maths. And, <laughs> Which is also yeah. a really good name for a website, I think. For something that's trying to help. I guess it's not too bad. Because right, you feel like you're in math like hell, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, should we get into the main event? All right, well, let's throw to a quick little musical interlude and we're going to come back and talk uh, fly shame. talking about fly shame and in particular my own personal fly shame i guess <laughs> it is personal fly my, shame. my personal fly shame um which <laughs> tell, is tell me about your fly shame well Zipper, it's a bit button. of a there's an international movement now for people to stop taking flights and there are lots of websites and lots of people like blogging about like you know i, I stopped flying since 2018 because i don't and people saying it's going to be like the smoking of our generation You're you know people will look back flyers and, anonymous well, yeah, it's exactly. been three months since I last flew. That's right. Well, future generations will look back and say, you know, we were crazy for making all this pollution and, and we couldn't stop ourselves kind mm-hmm. of thing. Right. But there's a part of me that's like, I think I should absolutely fucking stop. Like the, I, I travel quite a, I guess I travel quite a bit by most people's standards. And um, I don't know, I, I feel guilty, completely guilty. There's, a, there's actually a Swedish movement called Fliegfrit. Fliegfried 2020, which is flight free 2020. Of course. Where they're trying to basically get people to give up flying for a year. Um, so this is, the, this is the context of this. And I, I, I'm in a quandary because I, I want to travel. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't, I don't have kids. I, I, you know, I, I, why not? Why can't I just go and enjoy well, my life? And if I got a little bit of extra money, go on a trip somewhere and I not feel bad about it. And- okay, we're done. Good. <laughs> End of discussion. Good. You agree. No, but I think those points you just made are really good as well, which is you, the, cost, the nominal cost for you to travel now, in terms of the environmental cost, as well as the financial cost, is a fraction of what it'll be when you want to go and see those places once you, if or when you have a family, right? So instead of moving yourself to go to, for example, the Ukraine right now, imagine having to do that with five people. Mm. So... If you're looking to, if you expect to want to ever see these places, it's a smarter choice to do it now. Uh, yeah, but the timing issue is not so much an issue for me. My, my my answer to that would be like, well, why should I get to see those places? Like, 
Okay, well, the whole thing uh, started- No one else- get, Plenty of people around the world don't can't afford to do these things. So sure. Well, then why do I get to- Why do you get running pollute? water? No, but I've got a choice. I, okay, I'm going to drink running water because that helps me survive. But mm -hmm. I, if I don't go on this trip to the Ukraine with you, the, the, the grand result to me is probably an increase to my safety and the probability that I'm going to get hacked. You know, like- that's, You don't need a laptop. That's not great for the environment. From many, for many reasons, the oh, production can, of it, the running of it. I can defend. I can defend a laptop have, much easier than I can defend. Sure. Holiday flights. I know, but I'm saying it's, it's a sliding scale, right? And I think that the the gains made from physical travel, you know, is irreplaceable. I think there's a time and a place. I I've read probably some similar websites that you read, mm -hmm. and I totally agree. There's a lot of people who travel for work, which could easily be replaced by a phone call. Like how many times have we had a friend who's gone overseas? We don't travel for business, particularly you and I with our jobs, but we know people that travel for business meetings and whatever else, right? And how often have they done that and come home and you'd be like, how was Brazil? They'd be like, no idea. Basically went straight to the business meetings, meetings all day for two days and flew back. Yeah. And it's like, did or they come back and say it was, it was useless or whatever. Yeah. Like, like, totally did you useless. have to be there? Like yeah. you could have Skyped that. Yeah. Surely. Right. But this whole conundrum arose out of our joint trip to Thailand last year. Yep. We had a really great time, right? We had a great time. Yeah. And we couldn't have had that same time doing something else. We've had a good time. No, sure. But it's irreplaceable. Fine for us. But for also us. like, I think people could say that smoking was a great thing. They were enjoying smoking. Mm. They were being social. Why take that away from us? Like, uh, we, have to, we have to think about things more than just our rights and our abilities, you know, We've got some responsibilities to the planet. And I think that if I have to give up well, these amazing trips sure. with my best old buddy over here yeah. with the same name, then... Mm -hmm. That's me. Well, what about this? Um, look, it depends on how you look at it as well, right? From a sort of philosophical point of view, if you're a Kantian or a Humean, so if you're a... Um, so David Hume was famously a utilitarian, which mm -hmm. means you kind of look at the end result, the net effect of whatever you do in life or a choice or whatever. Um, and the merit of something or the goodness of something is determined by the consequence, the outcome. Yeah. Um, so you can talk about in that case, the use of carbon offsets and doing other things in your life to offset the ills of that trip. And if that trip brings you good and you're able to obviously offset the environmental impact of that trip, then the net effect is a good one and one that could be good for the environment and better for you. And if it's better for you, it could be better for other people too. Sure. Now, if you're a Kantian, yeah. right? Um, Emmanuel Kant. That's right. He believed that things that can, in and of themselves, acts can be wholly good or bad, right? That you can judge and act purely upon the act, and it's reasonably independent of what the outcome is. And if you were a Kantian, you would say, well, flying is bad, no matter what. Doesn't matter what you do about it. You can't make that better. You've done something bad, and that's just how it is. Yeah. So I'm on Team Kant right now, to be honest. E I'm, I'm okay. I think there's a room for both of those in the world for most decisions. I think I wouldn't ever say I'm truly utilitarian or truly Kantian. I think there are some things that are bad, but I think I tend to err more towards the utilitarian view on most issues. Well, actually, I might pair it back a bit and say, I think I am actually utilitarian, but, mm -hmm. but I just feel like the, the utility I get from that is just far outweighed by the pollution. I mean, we're all aware sure. of how much the pollution is that you create from... Yeah, so I looked into one, one our, our trip, for example... And I think the number to Thailand was to, or, or to Ukraine. Yep. So it would be 2.5 tons of carbon dioxide produced by that flight. For each of us. Yeah. 
Uh, one way or both? Both ways. Okay, 2.5 tons. Yeah. yeah, which sounds like a lot. But if you look at carbon offset um, quantification, the base unit is essentially the ton, the metric ton of carbon dioxide. So you, they don't measure things less than that. So that is your denominator. So we're you know, 2.5 times the, the unit of carbon offsetting. Hmm. So that's not that high if you consider that's the number that we sort of deal with in terms of that's our, our centimeter, our, but our, I, our I, rule. We're going to talk about where these carbon offsets kind of go. go. Do, we, sure. do we know where they like the... Yeah, there's a big variety. So what, like, what do you know about carbon offsets? What have you read? What's well, your understanding? My understanding works? is that the, the old systems of trying to put money into like create, grow a tree, mm-hmm. put money into reforestation or whatever, mm-hmm. right? Is a terrible, essentially a waste of a waste of money and it's not a very inefficient way of using carbon offsetting because at the end of the day, you'd want people to reforest these places anyway, right? And it's kind of essentially doing the job of something else that could have done it anyway. Yeah, so that, my, that tackles the issue of additionalism, which is that for a carbon offset that you produce, I guess we should talk a bit more about what actually a carbon offset is. Well, this is what we're, this yeah, is what we're getting right. at, hopefully. Yeah. Um, the other side of it, as this is my understanding of it, is that you, you then, um, there are uh, carbon uses in the economy which can be stopped for a given amount of money. And mm-hmm. this is you stopping those carbon emissions at other parts of the economy. Yeah. That's about the extent of my knowledge of carbon. Yeah, offset, so that's but. more or less it. So the way it works is that um, typically companies who are doing things that are pro-environment, so either doing things that in and of themselves are creating um, planting trees or creating sources that will deplete the carbon dioxide from the from the atmosphere, or making changes to their business structure in a pro green way that uses less carbon. Mm. Those activities, if they can prove that what they've done has a net decreased use of, they're a net decreased producer of carbon, yeah. or what they're doing is scrubbing the atmosphere of carbon, then they get points for that. They get these carbon credits, right? And so, yeah, so it can be trees. You can be planting trees. Um, it can be, I think, what they're looking at ultimately is going to be some sort of, you know, air scrubbing. The same way some factories and farms have ways of sort of scrubbing carbon dioxide from their local environment or from their, their exhaust and kind of taking that carbon dioxide and repackaging it. They are looking at ways to actually scrub the atmosphere of carbon dioxide, and that would be a really good one. But oftentimes, yeah, it's, you know, a company making a shift from using fossil fuels to using renewable energy and then claiming the difference as a carbon credit, yeah. which you can then buy off them. And so they're offsetting their consumption, and then we can thereby offset our consumption. Okay. Um, now, the way it works for a forest, for example, yeah, look, it should all be done. Um, you'd hope that people were replanting forest anyway. And frankly, if you're a like a deforestation company, like a logging company, it's a great business to be in to go and like level a forest, get paid for that, and then get paid to plant the trees again. And gonna get paid just to chop them down. Yeah. But you know what? If that's what makes it work, that's fine, right? So apparently, the way for trees, for example, when I was trying to think of what we could do together to make this like what, to make this right, what, what can I do to get you on a plane? <laughs> yeah. What can I do to make this right? I was like, well, maybe we can go and plant the like. How many trees would it take to plant? Um, for you and I to offset our trip. And like maybe we'd actually go and plant those trees. We know it was being done, right? You and I just go out there into wherever. Yeah. And I worked it out. It depends on what you're, I mean, you plant a tree. How long does it take for a tree to become productive from a greenhouse gas perspective, right? How, and then for what period of time are you counting that? Like we have to offset 2.51 
uh, metric tons of carbon dioxide. Yeah. Um, are we going to be looking at how much carbon dioxide that tree can consume in its entire life? Or are we going to say... Well, that's also a time factor, right? Like, exactly, right? So if the payback is in 50 to 100 years, we ain't got that much time. It's usually more like... So if you're looking at like... I think it's like a 35-year cycle, typically. Right. If we're, if we're going to look for the lifetime of that... If we look for the lifetime of a tree, I think the number was like 11 trees. If we planted, we would offset each of our trips. Um, but if you look at it more sort of proximate... To me that, but, like, I mean, to me, that's a decades, lot of trees for one trip. You know, like as but in you could, you know, I could that's, plant that's little, shocking to me. But you know, I could plant the little sapling in about oh, I'm just, five minutes. Yeah, we could do it. But yeah. I'm just saying, like, we then have to make sure they all grow to maturity and uh, aren't yeah. filled for whatever other reason. Sure, sure. But if you look at it in terms of what the cost is, so if we do it, it seems like a, it seems like quite big, right? But if you actually consider how many plants there are in the world or in the forest, the way it tends to work is that obviously it only works if the plant stays alive and doesn't get bulldozed yeah. down or yeah. just die because we didn't water it or whatever right. else. So typically, a company will buy a patch of land, however big that is, plant the trees, and they have a lease on that land for usually a minimum amount of time to be worthy of getting the carbon credits. If they don't own it for that time, they can't prove they keep it for that time, they won't be granted carbon, carbon credits credit for it, yeah. you know, whatever. Um, and so I think 35 years is sort of the nominal period of time with which you'd expect if you plant that whole area, we can predict how many carbon credits they should be get for that. So okay. if they say, we have a thousand hectares, we're gonna be planting X number of trees in that for 35, they will be productive of, you know, of oxygen in a couple of years. And that's gonna give us say 30 years of productivity, at which point they will have done their job in terms of what the credits can do. And then they can do what they want with them, which yeah. probably just means bulldozing them and selling. Again, potentially. Right. But still, they are still doing a net good over not having done that at all, right? Um, but they may have done that anyway. That's, that's log, kind of my logical But, but I think that logging companies tend not to do a lot of planting. They tend to do just a lot of cutting. Yeah, but I guess what I'm saying is that we need to come together as mm -hmm. a society to be like, okay, we need to stop. We need to make logging, logging companies or whatever. We still yeah. need to log trees if that's the case. Yeah. We need to do this shit anyway. Like mm -hmm. the, the fact that... I, as a private citizen, I'm going to elect to pay money into this. Is actually stopping us coming together to have that discussion and making some kind of regulationary, a regulatory environment around it, right? Like, I think that's really hard to that's kind of, This is kind of like the argument against like private charity, mm -hmm. because the more that private citizens invest into like charitable, charitable causes and stuff, the less the government has to fucking consider it, right? So look, I think a lot of the force, the deforestation and reforestation is happening in South America. And I think you'll find it really hard to enforce those rules there where they're already like going wild or they're going yeah. off piece and like logging indigenous land, mm. you know, and, and killing the natives as well. So if these guys are out there killing people in the name of cutting trees down, I think you're going to find it really hard to legislate um, mandatory re reforestation as a result of their deforestation. Mm. So I think if we can encourage them, like give them these carbon, if it is them anyway, it, I think it's probably often just better companies who aren't loggers anyway. But if you're a logger, you may as well get in on it, but I don't think they are. But if you're gonna be, I think that we can stimulate that through our air travel, through our collective guilt because of that. I think that that again is a utilitarian view to support air travel. And that the end of it is that it's making more us more conscious and feeding back into the system where we're actually gonna be trying to reforest the world and contribute significant funds to alternative energy resources and research. So there is a benefit, which is that we are sort of being gilded into doing this. 
And I don't think that's a bad thing. Sure. But for example, I can still put money into a a carbon offset without taking the flight, right? Of course you can. So, and if you want, and then if, if, then if if you wanted to, you can double up on your offset as well. Right. You know, like you can, you can cat mouse it as much as you want, but at some point you can find absolution, you know, and there's a, there's a, I read online, um, there was a, an old church principle. I don't, it wasn't called, it wasn't called absolution, but it's something similar hmm. where in the church, if you were noble, if you're rich enough, you would just pay the church and they would absolve you of your sins. Uh, I, I, yeah, that's a good right. one. Like a tithe or something? Or? No, it wasn't a tithe, but you basically just pay. And if yeah. you're rich and they would just be like, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, you're done. You're done. Yeah. Now the thing is you could have done things that are quite frankly irreversible. Like you could have killed somebody, you could have done whatever. There's entropy to what you're doing, which you can't undo or you can't, you know, make better. And then you can't contribute to a betterness of that situation at all, but you're granted absolution. And some people, some critics of carbon offsets have said, this is just a modern version of Catholic, like absolution, where mm. you just, you give your money and it's, you've been absolved of your sins. And I keep just taking flights and around keep the world. Taking flights. Yeah. But the difference is you can actually do a fair bit of good with that absolution with your carbon offsets because you can sort of tackle exactly what you did, right? And it's, sure, the one, the the CO2 you put in the environment is undoable in and of itself, the molecule that you put there, but you can scrub it from somewhere else mm. and reclaim that. Uh, and so it's different to say having killed someone or doing something else in the church, which is someone just said, oh, you're fine. Yeah, you're good. Well, yeah. it is different. Uh, okay, it might be different. What, what, what I am going to do, and this is what I'm going to probably reveal in the start of the next episode mm-hmm. of the Jeremy Zion, mm-hmm. um, is I'm cataloging every single flight I've ever taken in my life. I've tried to, like, oh, wow. yeah, I've asked my, wow. my parents for when we were kids, we wanted a couple of little holidays. Uh-huh. Um, I've tried to like figure out, you know. Good. The, the, and are you going to go back and offset all of those? Well, if I'm going to be a responsible human citizen, maybe I have to. And I'm trying to figure out how much carbon I've emitted. That's a really good idea. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm about halfway through uh-huh. trying to figure out the flight, trying to dig up flights from 2002 or 2003. I'm, like, I'm going to do the same and I'm going no to pay to offset all of them. Really? Yeah. You can, you're kidding me. Uh, and you, about, just said, you just, you just how, said that on air. You how about that? we throw this out there to all our listeners? This is the, the lifetime flight guilt offset Offset Challenge. program, the Jeremy Zion yeah. offset Try program. Try and calculate your entire footprint from all your flights. Because okay, so in the last, dude, you're going to be up for a, you a are going to be a heavy pickle. Yeah. Now, do you remember maybe seven eight years ago booking flights? Wait, and hold, hold, you'd on. Have, hold yeah, on. Yeah, go. I was going to say, does this include flights where you've booked the flight and then get to the airport and realize you don't have your passport on you and then miss the flight? Because that's going to be a, lo- a large proportion of your flights. <laughs> a large. You've paid, you've paid for that seat. It happened to me once. <laughs> and I've never forgotten it. Um, okay, sorry, I interrupted. Where are we going? <laughs> trying to embarrass me on air. Yeah. Um, I'm absent-minded, yes. Um, yeah, I know. I think it's really good. And okay, so seven, eight years ago, you'd check out when you're doing your flight online, right? And they would say, do you want to purchase carbon offset? And you'd be like, two bucks seventy-five to offset this flight. It's kind of the same now. That is probably a low ball offer of what it actually is. I The numbers I found are closer to around between $10 and $50 for a long haul flight from Sydney to Europe and back. Yep. Um, but again, it depends on what kind of carbon credit you are purchasing. What 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 technology are you using? Trees? Uh, are you using um, you know, green energy resources for big corporations, Like which I think is a more effi- actually probably a more efficient use of the money? Uh, more reliable, certainly. Um, but 
I don't think you see that option anymore, but I haven't seen that option online for no, a I while. No, I still see it. And it it well, seems meager always. Well, it's always like $2.30 A couple of years ago, it became mandatory, I think at least in Australia, the States, where the airlines cover it automatically now. So it's, it's priced it's, in. Or it's priced in now. So for the last couple of years, it's been priced into all your flights. Okay, and in Australia, you have to be certified by the government to be a carbon offset reseller or something like that. Sure. But I'm, I'm still as, as a, a bit at a loss as to exactly where that money goes. Oh, it goes straight to one of these authorized, what's well, it be now? It's been, it used to be pretty wild west. Especially in Australia, the last couple of years, it's been very heavily regulated. Mm. Uh, you have to be sort of granted a license to be a carbon credit reseller. Yeah. And you have to meet like certain kind of criteria. Um, and all the money that you give to the airline for that goes 100% to these companies. And their whole goal is it's a pure money. So it's legit. It is. for this kind a bit of... vague. And yeah. some people are probably kind of laundering some of their eco projects with carbon credit money. Yeah. They're like, oh, we're doing this thing that's good for the environment, but they didn't necessarily have any proof that they were actually offsetting any carbon use. And they're kind of just like NGOs who are getting carbon credit money. Hmm. Um, now you have to be proving that you are doing something that's quantifiably improving the state of the carbon emissions in the world. Yeah. Yeah. So now it is, it seems though, and it's all the prices I found online are pretty consistent. So, so, so it's, pretty, it's pretty homogenous out there. So your, your argument to me is that basically I, I can absolve my... You, know, you can absolve and I think guilt. what we need to do just like if we were going to church and we were kind of doing kind of penance right and sort of confessing our sins or if you're going to AA right you go to AA you have to confess your sins right and yeah. you, you have to go to everyone you wronged yeah. and make up for those wrongs or at least apologize for those wrongs before you can start fresh otherwise you'll be carrying that guilt with you forever and you'll never truly my name is Justin free. and I'm a traveler yeah, yeah. exactly we, we, we kind of made that joke 45 minutes ago. So maybe what we need to do is go back, take inventory of all our ills, travel ills, and make up for those and start from scratch. And, what, and pay whatever the recommended... Whatever the recommended offset. offset is. Yeah. What if... Okay. So I'm, I'm down. I'll, I'll handshake on that right now. We're doing it? But you... Okay. Well, are you going to do... I owe the, the, so much money. You do. You're going to be in the hole. But at the same time... I'll feel better for It's going it, to take you a long time to, to chronicle all this stuff. It will. And I'll have to make some calculated guesses. That's fine. Like, That's acceptable. Going back to early uni days, knowing that I went home like twice a year to Canada for summer and Christmas holidays and stuff, I can come up with a pretty accurate number. And from childhood travel, I've got a pretty good idea of where we, where we flew as a kid. Okay. So I should be able well, to. Well, I'm keen to see what, how you measure up versus, versus me. So yeah, it's going to be pretty sketchy. It's going to be hard. Yeah. <laughs> but it'd be really good, man. And then we'll, and then we'll drop that dime and we'll, we'll all of a sudden. And we're going to feel free. Really? I don't know. I'm so... I don't know. So is there other things that you've got in, in, in your back other pocket around the. That, what else do I know? I know that. Um, Look, on top of the guilt, and there is guilt, but I said, I think we, we can, we have the technology now to buy back some of that guilt. Um, and I think that's it's fine because I really do think that, and this is again, not something that's scientific, but something that is um, more ephemeral than that. Some of the best memories I have are from traveling. And I don't think I could replace those. And some of those ideas have given me the inspiration to do things, which I wouldn't have had good things for good people and stuff, right? Um, for example, I think that going to like Nepal and India as, at a young age gave me exposure to poverty, which I would not have had in this country yeah. or, or to illness and things like that, right? Which have directly fed into my professional interests, my altruistic intentions. Mm. And you, especially if you can offset the eco side of that trip, I think that the dividends paid by that exposure is huge. 
And right. I think that the, there's maybe a logical endpoint to my initial argument and mm-hmm. reticence to get on a plane that is not particularly savory. So, for example, if I just said, okay, everyone should stop traveling, and then you do get this lack of, you know, appreciation of other cultures and a yeah. lack of, you know, I think, I think there is value in what you're saying about bringing back mm-hmm. something from your travels that can then, you know, positively impact your life and those around you. I think that's... Totally. That, that, I can get on board with that. Yeah. I guess, yeah, my... And maybe when we were talking about it, it's finding a responsible way to allow yourself to do that, right? To try yeah. and to try and minimize the material risk of that as much as possible yeah. or mitigate the material consequences as much as possible. At the same time, still allowing yourself to experience these things that we are fortunate enough to be able to experience, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, that, that, I guess that's part of it, to be actually appreciative of the fortune that we have, the, the, you know. Yeah. And remember what Brad said, um, our friend Bradley our friend Wong, from, Brad the, Wong from the Copenhagen Consensus. Yeah, their numbers show that the best use of money, right, is towards helping sort of uh, poor, starving children and families, right, in the developing world, as opposed to anything environmental. Exactly, and so by exp- by trying to reduce the global community, trying to bring in, rein in that global community, make it feel closer to you, you have to travel to see these people to feel included in their circle, right? For these people to feel like part of your family and like the changes you make yeah. include them, I think seeing them and being around them and being exposed to that is a big part of that, right? By not shutting yourself off to the world. And if you if you don't do that at the expense of trying to avoid travel and the environment, yep. you're doing exactly the opposite of what Brad and the Copenhagen Consensus have said, which is don't worry about environment right now, don't try to fix that, focus on the people in the world right now. And I think that that is actually totally flipping, inverting what you're proposing. Otherwise, well, okay. I, that's, Look, that's 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 a I, little I, excessive. I disagree with. But you I know what like I'm that's saying. Steel manning your argument, perhaps, because you're Sorry, suggesting right. that you know my you're, objectives in traveling is even worse. <laughs> well, no, you're, su- you're suggesting my objectives in traveling to Ukraine with you is to do some kind of like altruistic good for the world, which is not the case. No, but it, but it's about seeing. But we don't know what we're going to see, or what you're going to come back. We don't. With. No, but right. You don't know. <laughs> no, it's true. And also Ukraine, we're not going to Cancun, right? Like yeah. no one goes to Ukraine. <laughs> it's crazy poor. Yeah. And it's not a glamorous holiday. And I think it's going to be, we're going for, we're going for cultural reasons. Yeah. In the first place. And also we have fans. We have fans we, in the Ukraine. We actually have a surprisingly large fan base in the Ukraine. And well, they'll be really disappointed. Well, we should sort out at least a live show with the audience. I can arrange that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Good. So that... Also, while researching this, I think I told you before, I did so much like aviation and like rocket science research. Well, this is what just, I was hoping you were, you were going to bring yeah, to the table. Yeah, I'm going to bring this to the table we, now. We kept it quite light and, it and fluffy. Because like, so you, you, I'm reading about how much, obviously, the fuel that gets put in the atmosphere, you're trying to equate that to like, you know, car emissions versus plane emissions. And they talk about jet fuel, jet fuel. I go, Do you know what a jet is? Me? Yeah. What's then, a jet? Well, to me, it's just a, 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 va- a vague word for, to describe anything that goes in the, in the sky, basically. Incorrect. Squids are jets. <laughs> okay, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, because you get jet propelled. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, a yeah. jet is a, uh, a liquid stream or a fluid stream yeah. that's propelled, which causes through Newton's third law, an equal and opposite reaction uh, in, in the other direction, right? Yeah, so, so when, you, when you, I pee... That's a jet. It throws against the wall. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's right. Well, I have yeah. to brace myself. I, the I friction to, of your feet yeah. is higher than the force of your urine stream, so you stay where you are. But yes, if you were in space, 
that's a jet man that's yeah. that's 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 like squid <laughs> so yeah so a jet engine is shoots out a combination of hot liquid and air with hot air really from the back of the jet engine um and that's what makes it go forward right and you know what like the, there's turbines in a jet engine mm. You've heard the turbine, seen the turbine spin. You hear those? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, your turbine engine, people call yeah, it. That's why, like, with they always talk about uh, the like, flying into birds and shit because yeah. the birds get caught well, in the turbines. The turbines are actually at the back of the engine. Right. And there are compressors at the front. So what needs to happen is the jet fuel, and this is another diversion. This is super interesting, at least to me, right? So what's jet fuel? You're going to have to... I, I Wait, don't what's, know. What's jet fuel? I, uh, well, some kind of, like, you know, something that ends in ain that is... Uh, um, Kind, well, yeah, kind of. So, that what you light is, it on fire and it explodes. What's the difference between jet fuel and gasoline? This I have no idea. Right. Yeah. I one just, of them you huff. I kind of always don't. wondered, but I never bothered to look. Yeah. Jet fuel. You is, don't huff jet, jet fuel. Jet fuel. <laughs> you don't huff jet. Well, you know, people do huff jet fuel. Right. It's pretty much kerosene. Right. Now, next question: What's the difference between kerosene and gasoline? <laughs> I'm on trial here for all, yeah, yeah. for my high school chemistry days. Yeah, do you know? No, I don't. You're gonna have to fail me, Mr. Malia. <laughs> isn't it, but isn't it interesting, right? We're like, oh, kerosene this and and gasoline. Well, okay, there's a different number of O's and H's in the like structure of it, right? Like I remember that. Yeah, much. well, not like, O's, but H's, yeah. H's and C's. Yeah. yeah. So these are this is carbon chemistry, right? These are, yeah. these are hydrocarbons. Um. So let's go simpler. What is the difference between gasoline and petroleum? Petrol. Okay. They're synonymous to me, absolutely, hundred okay. percent synonymous. So yeah, petrol. I guess we say is synonymous. But petroleum. Yeah. Okay. So petroleum is the oil that we get out of the ground. <laughs> Episode starts now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, so here we go. Ready? I'll, I'll do a little a quick rundown of this. So yeah. you get petroleum. We've out got of the nine gr- minutes. Petroleum comes out of the ground, right? Yeah. Um, and that petroleum is a mix of all different chain lengths of hydrocarbons. Yes. Okay. Right. right. And so we so know it's that crude. we know that yeah. So we know that the difference between different carbon chain lengths in these hydrocarbons you have different names and the result is actually different boiling temperatures okay so the more c's you add yep the higher the boiling temperature yeah so if it's c if it's just one carbon right it's what do you mean methane right yes okay I'm, two I'm carbons going. ethane three carbons or butane yeah no no, no that's four propane, propane. damn it Four carbons, butane, butane, right? Five carbons, pentane. Yeah. Oh, baby. Six carbons. Well, you'd think it's Whatever. hexane. No. Heptane. Heptane. has got to be seven. You maybe it's mid hexane. Hexane. Anyway, the point is, as you increase the number of carbons you have in that group, you get higher boiling temperatures. Um, and so, petroleum is a mixture of all different chain lengths. It's just totally. It's a. It's a. Okay, so it's, it's the pre so, pre filtered yeah. version. So what they do is. Um, gasoline is just a mixture of chain lengths of seven to 11 carbons. So if you had a mixture where all the carbon chain lengths in those hydrocarbons were between seven and 11. Okay. That, that contains that's bu- gasoline, right? Gasoline yeah, is yeah. not a pure refined product. It's still somewhat coarse, but more, it's a bracketed well, that, well, octane's in there and the, hence high octane and all this kind high of shit. Octane, right. So yes. Right. Um, and then you have, uh, Decane. kerosene. Which is 12 to 15 carbons. No, this is That's cool. all it is. This is really and cool. how do you think they refine it? Uh, by boiling yeah. it, right? So what they do is they take all their petroleum and they heat it up to like five degrees or whatever temperature um, methane will evaporate because the lowest. Yeah. And then whatever they capture is methane. 
and they click it up to the next one, and then what they capture is going to be ethane. Man, and we, they, we can and go into this business. We understand it's, it. It's, we it's easy. And then they, they the kick up. it up to the... <laughs> it's easy. <laughs> it's easy. So that blew my mind, right? That's and, great. And so the, and the way a jet engine works is that you take... You mist kerosene or a version of kerosene, which is obviously a different kind of mixture of those 7 to 12... Uh, 12 to 15 carbon length hydrocarbons that's kind of works best for the... Um, flashpoint and the combustion temperature of that fuel yeah that, that gets misted into the jet engine which is what you see on the side of the plane um now for that to combust you have to have oxygen right now it only because of the temperature that it burns at you have to have oxygen at the right pressure and the right temperature to mix with the fuel to burn properly efficiently okay so to do that the front of the plane has the big not the propellers but they have what look like turbines, these big air intake oh, things. Oh, yep. And if you if you were to cut away the engine, the big sort of tubular structure, the first almost half of that engine has a bunch of these spinning like teeth, these blades, which sucks the air in. That is a compressor. Now you have a compressor that just compress air. We use those for like a blow dryer, so like a, a compressor or whatever. Um, that sucks it in, and as it gets sucked in, when you compress that air, you heat it up because you're kind of adding energy to that air. Yeah, that makes and sense. And so all these fans compress the air as they approach the combustion chamber. When they hit the combustion chamber, they are the right temperature and pressure to mix with the misted kerosene, yeah. which, they then, which they then burn. Um, and then that shoots out a stream. And then that gets funneled down to a little nozzle, a little cone at the back of the plane, which then shoots out this high temperature. And as the, oxygen, as the air expands, because it's hot, it's going to a colder environment, that also helps with the propulsion as well. The amazing thing is the turbine is on the back of the plane, about back of the engine. That is just there, pre-spinning. A turbine is an engine, right? A turbine yeah. is gaining energy, right? It's called, it's it's creating power. So as the air is it's a power pushed, bottom. Yeah, it's a power bottom. Yeah. As the hot air or the jet stream is pushed through the turbine, the turbine spins. Turbine creates energy. The turbine is what spins the compressors on the front of the engine. So it's this little... What? So, say that again. The turbine at the back... Yeah. Gathers yeah. the energy that's being spat out. Yeah. And that in turn f is actually what powers the compressors at the front of the engine. Oh, shit. So the thing that gathers the air to pull it in... Yeah. So initially, all you got to do is start those compressors. And then it's self-kind of sustaining. Are you kidding me? Yeah. And all you got to do is then just supply the, in the, uh, the fuel. Yeah. Isn't that cool? That is really cool. That now, was definitely worth you describing Have that. you ever heard of a scramjet? Uh, ramjet I've heard of okay well a scramjet of the Roger variety exactly well a ramjet is a kind of engine and a scramjet is another kind of jet engine sounds like a transformer if it I'm does honest. doesn't it, yeah. it sounds, this is not awesome yeah so a scramjet 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 has no is a jet engine with no moving parts okay so how, how does then it, how does it, it compress yeah you have to already be moving pretty fast and if you're approaching oh. subsonic speeds the, the air just compresses naturally just jams into the front of the engine and the shape of it is what compresses it. So you have like a funnel that catches the air. The air gets compressed as it hits the, kind of the middle half of the engine. Like it gets caught. Good and then that gravy. gets pushed into the combustion chamber and then it goes. And that at high speeds... So what, like what do you do when you slow down they, They've only built like three of these ever, these scramjets. But then what happens when you slow down? I mean, eventually you have to slow the thing down. Well, right? you but just decrease how much fuel you're combusting. Okay. You can, right, you, but the compression is still... Yeah. But the, you're still compressing the air, but you can probably decrease the amount of... Um, okay. how much fuel you're putting through. It wouldn't be as efficient, but you're not looking for efficiency. You're looking to slow down. That's great. So that's so cool. So now I'm like, I'm all down to rocket science. It's actually really easy. 
you. We could totally do this. We yeah. could be we could be a pilot and a and a you know yeah. But it's like finally, I was like, what is a goddamn jet engine? Yeah. Built up with jets all the time. Now next would be rockets, like rocket fuel. What's rocket fuel? I bet you it's just like propane. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Like I'm trying to think, is it solid? Like how does rocket fuel work? You see the rocket fuel, like the the fuel rings falling off Apollo yeah. 11 and stuff. Rocket fuel was what our mate Will used to bring to parties most uh, most nights when we were quite young. Uh. Well, I'll ask Will. Uh. So, uh, so anyway, that's a little bit about uh, about jet engines. I have found this incredibly informative. Engine physics and do you do a podcast or something? <laughs> I should. I'd listen to that. I should. <laughs> we definitely needed to front load this as opposed to our uh, yeah forty minute yarn. <laughs> yeah, well. I didn't really know how to squeeze that in, right? That's a tough one. But You've done it with aplomb. Isn't that super interesting? Yeah, very interesting. Yeah. So I thought that was like, it's so accessible. Yeah. Um, it's actually easier to describe the functioning, I think, of a jet engine than a combustion engine, a standard combustion engine with pistons because mechanically there's a lot more going on in a standard yeah. piston engine. In, in my mind, it needs to be simpler when it's up in the air as well for some reason. I just I, I picture well, it. I, I, we I can't used to see use, all those moving parts. While the first planes would have used standard combustion engines that were turning the propeller. Okay. So instead of turning the wheels of your car, I they just were just it, spinning yeah, propeller. Yeah. And then around the, I guess it was like the 20s, they realized that they were already approaching the limit of how fast and how efficient a propeller could possibly be. There are limits to how fast a propeller can go. There's inefficiencies built into that, that design that can't be overcome. And they're like, we need to do something that is completely, completely different to a propeller if we're going to move aviation forward. And then they came up with the jet engine. So it's a completely different means of combusting something and getting forward propulsion out of it. You heard it here. First. On, on, <laughs> yeah, heard it here first. You heard That's it here right. first. Yeah. <laughs> Cutting edge science. This is fresh yeah. from uh, the 1930s. Yep. You know, 80 odd years later, I'm spilling the beans on, uh, on jet propulsion. Done next well. next Done episode, well, well, rocket propulsion. I think it's Well, the same. we will see. If you're keen on getting in touch, this is uh, Jeremy's Iron. We have mm-hmm. a website, jeremysiron.com. You can also catch us on Facebook. Uh, feel free to yeah, give us a little correspondence. We'll give you a shout out on air. Or if you've got any questions to ask, you can float us some questions. Any questions, any topics to cover, yeah. any answers you need. We're here for answers, right? Well, we're, we're here to provide we're them, answer I guess. men. We're, we're answer men. That's right. We could call out... In fact, we should... We should tell Nick, our, one of our um, Rusty, our producer, doesn't like the name of our show. He doesn't? No, he doesn't. He feels like it doesn't say anything about anything, which to be fair, it doesn't, but that's kind of why we like it. Answer Men gives away a little bit more about what we are. <laughs> <It does. laughs> I'll put it to him. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's a bit on the nose. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Not as much on the nose Vib- as... Vibration theorists. <laughs> <laughs> Making sense with Justin and Justin. <laughs> yeah. Or we can take waking up back. We can take waking up. He's not using it. Sam Harris is no longer using waking well, up. Well, he's using it for his uh, meditation app though still. Yeah, but I don't think it's... It's no longer a podcast. That's right. Right. It'd be like calling our podcast Star Wars. It's not a podcast. <laughs> it's true. Right? We can call it Goodfellas. <laughs> and some men. <laughs> I actually don't mind some men. That's a men. It makes more sense. Yeah. Well, All right. See you all in the next week or whenever we decide to in the uh, Ukraine. Do, one. do another <laughs> see, one. See you, one for, see you live from Kiev. Live from Lviv. Lviv. Is that how you pronounce it? I don't know. It's like, uh, like, uh, like it. Is.